Coming up today, the Wired podcast team weighs in on Elon Musk's dramatic Twitter takeover. You're listening to The Wire Podcast, your essential weekly guide to the future of tech, science, business and culture. Or this week, just Elon Musk. I'm your host, James Templeton, and joining me today are Morgan Meeker. Hello. And Matt Burgess. Hello. This was the week when Chinese authorities locked down a district of Zhengzhou City, home to the largest iPhone factory in the world, to control an outbreak of COVID-19. Social media posts showed workers trying to flee from the iPhone factory, which is run by Foxconn, in a bid to escape harsh lockdown restrictions. It was also the week when Britain's dream of a homegrown electric vehicle industry appears to be in trouble after battery startup British Volt spent most of the last few days on the edge of bankruptcy. British Volt was promised 100 million from the UK government if it met certain construction targets. However, Business Secretary Grant Shapps declined to hand over taxpayer money early, describing the company's management as totally chaotic. And finally, this was the week when TikTok said that staff in China are able to access some UK and EU user data. The admission came as part of a privacy policy update from TikTok and as countries around the world continue to consider their relationship with the firm. Now, we're recording the show on Thursday afternoon, London time. So this TikTok news has broken relatively recently. And I'm already seeing lots of people saying, delete TikTok, this is the end of TikTok. Matt Burgess, from your considered opinion, just a couple of hours after this news has come out, should everybody be rushing to delete TikTok or is this a little bit hysterical? It's probably a little bit uh, hasty to do that. I don't think this is something that was a huge secret necessarily. I think that um, the reason why TikTok has made this sort of statement now is because it's been updating its privacy policies to be in line with GDPR and uh, all of those other sort of regulations across Europe. So a bit more transparency. Um, but I think that people have sort of believed this for a while. And there's been reports uh, previously that said some user data was being sent to China or could be accessed. Uh, as TikTok sort of announced this, they said that they're working to try and reduce their um the amount of people that can have access to this type of data and it's restricted to certain uh, engineers and, and various different teams. Um, but I think it just is going to continue to uh, add uh, flames or fuel to the flames around sort of the concerns around TikTok and China and the ability uh, for authorities potentially access people's data from elsewhere. So it's another thing added to that pile of those discussions that have been going on for a long time. Um, so yeah, it's another, just another little addition, I guess. Um, but I wouldn't imagine people should be rushing to delete TikTok straight away now. What we're likely to see though, as this news develops or as more people get online and send angry tweets about it is one would imagine American politicians of a certain age and a certain political leaning coming out very very strongly against TikTok and trying to put pressure at a legislative level to potentially get it banned in the United States. Exactly and I think in the last couple of days as well potentially even before this uh, latest update to its privacy policies uh, the FCC in the United States did call for a ban on TikTok or the head of the FCC um, so that is probably going to feed into this a little bit as well but as you say I think that there's going to be a lot more political discourse about it, but there hasn't been a huge amount of uh, evidence put forward ever on this in terms of national security uh, 
actual implications so yeah more to come i guess we'll keep watching it closely all right what did we learn this week morgan so my fact this week is about trains so in europe in case you haven't been following there's been a bit of a crackdown on short-haul flights in favor of trains so france is one country that has banned flights on routes which would take less than two and a half hours to travel by train spain and germany have discussed similar laws But despite this, European train travel is still quite difficult and fragmented. And this week I learned that progress on some Europe train routes is actually going backwards. So in the 1990s, it took 12 hours to travel between Budapest in Hungary and the Romanian capital Bucharest. Today, that journey takes three hours longer. So it takes 15 hours. And in the 1930s, it took just two hours and 45 minutes to take the train from Wroclaw in Poland to Berlin. And today that journey takes four hours. There was definitely a moment, maybe about five, seven years ago, when an awful lot of European train companies started dramatically cutting the number of night trains they operated, right? And in the last couple of years, I think particularly the Austrian national rail operator has started rolling out loads more Route. So it, it seems like the, the history of European rail over the last several decades has been sort of boom and bust, if you like. And when you're talking about something as big and heavy as rail lines, those really need regular maintenance and investment over time. Otherwise, I guess you end up in a situation where stuff can go backwards when you want it to be going forwards. Yeah, exactly. And I think what's why I've come across this is I'm trying to do this personally, swap out short haul flights for train travel. And it is just surprising how difficult it still is to get from ca- like theoretically big European capitals in like less than two days. Um, it's still very difficult. So that's a shame. But yeah, the Austrian night train looks quite good. So hopefully there'll be more of efforts like that. More progress. <clears throat> All right, Matt Burgess, your fact is also sort of infrastructure related, isn't it? Very infrastructure related. So this week I wrote a story about subsea cables, which are the cables that run along the ocean floor and connect uh, basically all of the world, major cities and other places to each other. So data can be moved around the world. And I was focusing on one very spe- specific area around Egypt and the Red Sea, where there's a huge choke point of like 16 cables uh, all running through the relatively short and narrow uh, area of the Red Sea and how that is a a risk. But while I was reporting this story, I found my favourite ever name for a submarine cable. Um, And this is the Polar Express cable, which runs essentially all the way around Russia, uh, from where Russia and Japan are near each other to uh, where Russia and Finland share a border um, up in that region. And this cable goes sort of like 12,000 kilometres all around the top and north of Russia. um, And it's called the Polar Express. And it's the only cable that goes around that sort of route in the world. Having read your fascinating story about subsea internet cables. I can see why that is your favourite name for a cable. Other contenders are AAE1, um, <laughs> which is, you know, a little less romantic. Um, but th- th- this idea of there being choke points in the global internet infrastructure, it hands certain countries, so Singapore, I think, is one, and as you mentioned, Egypt is another, huge power and the ability to make, I imagine, significant sums of money by charging companies to run cables across land in the very few places in the world where you can't just go across the sea. Yeah, it's essentially putting these cables at the bottom of the sea helps to protect them more because people can't access them. But in a few places in the world, such as Egypt, um, there is basically no underwater route around uh, or 
directly connecting connecting places so um you have to sort of cross land in some places and as you say actually where in egypt there's a lot of control from the telecoms regulator where it does cross near the sewers and after we saw sort of like the the ever given uh, that got stuck in the sewers last year that just sort of like that um issue where everything was congested and and everything had to go through one area is the same with the internet the cables don't go through the suez exactly but the same sort of approach in terms of everything has to go through this one narrow geographic route um it causes a a big choke point which by the fact of it existing becomes a risk to sort of the infrastructure that is in place it's a fun story i encourage everyone to go and check it out but we're not going to talk about internet cables anymore we can't avoid it any longer We're going to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter. So if you don't want to hear a bunch of journalists talk about Elon Musk for 40 minutes, then you can probably just skip this show and go for a walk in the woods. But if you haven't had your fill of Twitter discourse, then, well, it's been a hectic few weeks or even months at Twitter, probably even years. But now Elon Musk is, for better or worse, in charge. So that's either the best thing you've ever heard or the worst thing. Regardless, it's definitely a thing Morgan, the story's moving very quickly, but what's been going on? Yeah, so it is moving quickly, but if we take a step back, it's basically been seven months since Elon Musk was revealed as Twitter's largest shareholder, and that revelation eventually led to this on-again, off-again takeover bid. And all this drama basically reached a climax last Friday, October 28th, with a tweet by Musk which declared, The bird is freed. So many people interpreted that statement as the moment that Twitter ownership was officially transferred over to the world's richest man. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but it it now belongs, Twitter does now belong to Elon Musk. So since then, we've been on a bit of a rollercoaster ride as people try to guess what exactly Musk will do with Twitter. And Musk has almost been taunting his audience with tweets suggesting what he might do next. So those tweets have suggested he's about to charge $8 a month for blue ticks. That's the system which verifies people are who they say they are on the platform. It's also been reported that Twitter engineers have been instructed to work on resurrecting Vine, the short video platform that Twitter shut down in 2016. A lot of this is very speculative. Beyond the $8 per month charge, we're not sure which of these ideas that are being floated right now will actually go ahead. And the most recent Big news, as we mentioned a moment ago, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, London time, is that Musk plans, well, he's probably been tweeting since we've been recording, but when we last checked, the most recent big news is that Musk plans to cut something like half of Twitter's workforce tomorrow. What more do we know about that? Yeah, so there's one thing we can be fairly certain of. There's going to be really widespread layoffs. So Twitter has about 7,000 staff right now. Um, So Musk has been caught on camera reassuring an employee that the layoffs would not be as much as 75% of staff, which was reported at one point. Instead, earlier this week, there were suggestions it would be 25% of staff. Today, there's talk that that's going to be 50% being let go. And that might be all the layoffs, or it might just be the first round of layoffs. We're not sure. So One group that has already suffered layoffs is Twitter's top executive team, which has basically been gutted. So we've said goodbye to Chief Executive Parag Agrawal, Chief Financial Officer Ned Siegel's gone, and Policy Chief 
Vijaya Gadi is also gone. A bunch of other top executives have resigned. So that includes the ad boss and chief people officer. The board of directors is gone. So that cements Musk's control over the platform. Um, but Musk does have this reputation as a, a very aggressive business leader. So people who followed him throughout his career know he's not afraid of making big changes. So while we can't be certain about what's going to happen next, it's fairly safe to assume that radical changes are coming. And those radical changes aren't just happening within Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco and its other offices around the world. They're also happening on the platform right now. So what's Twitter, the platform, not the company, been like since Musk took over? Yeah, so I don't think it would be an exaggeration to describe the reaction on the platform among some users as panic. So people are freaking out. This platform, which was once considered this threat to authority. I mean, think about its links to pro-democracy activists in places like Egypt, Libya, Saudi. They all use Twitter to mobilize and to connect. Also in, in its home country of the US, it's been credited with helping spread movements like Black Lives Matter and Occupy Wall Street. Then suddenly this platform's taken over by the world's richest man who has deep connections with countries like China. People are really worried. This cements a trend that's definitely been happening for a while in social media, that powerful people have basically learned how to harness and use these platforms to their own advantage. The other thing that I think is going on, which is quite interesting, is the Twitter takeover has basically become an opportunity for various people and groups to express what they think social media should be. So we're seeing Donald Trump supporters call for the former president's account to be reinstated. People who call themselves free speech activists want less content moderation crypto enthusiasts want a more decentralized network investors are advocating for leaner operations more more staff cuts and i think elon is encouraging this to an extent he's been carrying out these polls on his own twitter account asking asking people should we bring back fine or should advertisers support what he calls free speech or political correctness and matt burgess something that you've been keeping an eye on over the last several days is the nasty stuff that we all know happens on Twitter, but we don't necessarily see. And it seems like there's been an uptake in certain kinds of rhetoric. It does. It definitely feels like it's been very chaotic at the moment on there. It's obviously very uh, hard to draw definite conclusions on the entire of Twitter and how people are using it, because most people, by the nature of Twitter and the way that you follow people, are confined to their own filter bubbles that they have created. But we have seen a uh, marked and uh, sort of recorded rise in the amount of general ugliness and nastiness on there too there uh there have definitely been people on the far right of the u.s political spectrum that appear to be emboldened by musk taking charge of the platform immediately after musk took charge there was a surge of racist slurs and nazi memes that appeared on twitter um some right-wing groups that had been banned were able to recreate accounts um twitter's team that had been behind this said that they saw this coordinated surge and then tried to remove uh the racist posts that they were seeing but Perhaps the most shocking thing that has happened so far was Musk himself on his own Twitter account uh, posting a baseless conspiracy theory about the assault of Paul Pelosi. Uh, and this was after Pelosi, the husband of uh, US uh, House Pizza Speaker Nancy Pelosi, was attacked with a hammer in their California home last Friday. Um, and the conspiracy post uh, Musk shared was uh, from a very well-known uh, website called the Santa Monica Observer, which has been described as being notorious for publishing fake news so um this was something that um astounded a lot of people really in terms of the sheer just 
complete baselessness of this uh, post that n- this link that must shared and the conspiracy theory behind it um which really set off a lot of alarm bells for people and if you've got the owner of the service uh posting this type of uh demonstratively false content and admittedly uh several after after several hours after musk tweeted this and after a lot of criticism he did eventually delete it but i don't think as far as i know didn't offer any explanation for uh any of that posting or the deletion yeah i mean the explanation in part for that posting could just be that elon musk despite his enormous notoriety and wealth tweets like a quote-unquote normal person right he just puts out memes random links to things nonsense polls he tries to quote-unquote solve russia's invasion of ukraine um by positing thoughts he behaves on twitter and in um normal life sort of on offline life if, if you like in a way that isn't that common amongst people with such power and influence um which is really really problematic and we're seeing that kind of chaotic nature that musk has play out on twitter in real time now i think someone put it quite eloquently this week when they said um twitter again feels like twitter when trump was on it you wake up each morning and wait for donald trump's first tweet you wake up each morning now and you wait for elon musk's first tweet and both are very different but sort of similarly unpredictable so there's been a lot of talk this week about how musk could change twitter to make it more profitable and this has also been a bit of a conundrum. So Facebook and Google have for many years been able to make huge sums where Twitter has struggled. That's partly because by comparison, despite the fact that we're going to spend a long time talking about it, very few people use Twitter. It's very popular among politicians, among like certain celebrity groups, if you like, um, and journalists. But for the most part, a lot of people don't use Twitter and probably don't care about Twitter As a result, it doesn't make much in ad revenue, even if it has quite a large influence on public discourse. And also, Twitter doesn't really have other ways of making money aside from advertising or ways of persuading more people to spend more time on its platform. So, Morgan, what's Musk's grand plan here? Yeah, so we've heard a lot about subscriptions and moving to a subscription model Um, And I think that's going to be really key in how Musk evolves Twitter. So Musk has spoken about how he believes that subscriptions will, in his words, destroy the bot and also enable the platform to reward content creators or incentivize influencers, which it doesn't really do at the moment. But I think more importantly, this talk about subscriptions speaks to the pressure that Musk is under to monetize the platform. Um, As you mentioned, from an economic point of view, buying Twitter now is actually quite a wild idea. So Twitter has been unprofitable for eight of the last 10 years. It's popular among people like us journalists, but investors are much less convinced. It's one of the most underperforming of well-known tech stocks. So load these problems on top of the changing financial winds for the technology industry at large. So in the past week, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta and Microsoft have all seen billions wiped from their combined market cap. Their revenues are slowing. In the case of Meta, the revenues are declining. They're all struggling to control costs. So this is quite new for the tech giants. In the past decade, they've kind of got used to constant, reliable growth. So Musk has bought Twitter, an unprofitable company, in an industry at a time when the industry it's in is suddenly really feeling the heat from an economic downturn. 
On top of that, again, Twitter's got really serious debt. So the acquisition loaded the company with so much that analysts estimate the cost of servicing that debt is going to mushroom to a massive $1 billion a year. So the company only generated about $600 million last year. So that means Twitter is generating less money per year than what it owes its lenders. Now, I'm fairly bad at maths, but even I can tell the difference between two numbers. They're the wrong way around in order for Twitter to make money. So part of Elon Musk's master plan, which seems kind of sensible on the face of it, is subscriptions. How well might that work? Yeah, so I think subscriptions will be part of that. It depends how many people are willing to pay for them. It's going to be kind of part of a jigsaw puzzle of efforts that Musk is going to try and use to make money. So another idea that's been floated is a plan to let creators charge people for video content. So a creator would be able to post a video with a paywall and choose how much they charge their followers to see it. So at the moment, those plans range between $1 and $10. Twitter would obviously take a cut of that. And I think that's an interesting idea, especially because there is quite a thriving, not safe for work community on Twitter. So right now, consensually produced adult content, including pornography, is allowed on Twitter it just has to be marked as sensitive so a plan like that would capitalize on that community and put Twitter in competition in competition with sites like OnlyFans but I mean I think it's important to remember that the people bearing the brunt of this pressure to monetize is not just Musk but also the staff so one of the company's product leaders Esther Crawford said on Wednesday that she slept in an in the office in an effort to meet her deadline. So there's real pressure at Twitter right now. It's a bit of a weird thing to see, isn't it? Someone taking great pride on sleeping on the floor of their office. Um, But I guess individual choices. But it does show a a very, very rapid culture shift within Twitter that's being brought about by Musk. And those that want to, I guess, please Musk will suddenly start behaving in a very musky kind of way and and those that don't will run a mile or be booted out the company tomorrow before they even get a chance on the verification plans um again i'm not very good at maths but even if it is at 20 dollars a month or even if it's at eight um there's only so many people on twitter even if you get everybody who's on twitter paying for it who currently has a blue check mark that's not going to make a dent in the kinds of sums that twitter needs to make to service the debt so there's got to be more stuff alongside that so it will be interesting to see how musk does with other parts of his plan to make twitter profitable but the verification system as it exists now isn't kind of like a a nice thing to have some people view it rightly i think as a really really important tool for making the platform safe for people and and matt burgess is kind of your area of expertise so this isn't just a vanity symbol on people's profiles this is quite an important thing for ensuring that that twitter is a safe place for certain people right it is so i think at the moment um and it it obviously depends on how a lot of this shakes out and how uh the decisions are made and ultimately and what does come to pass but at the moment we've seen this suggestion of uh people being verified uh if they want to be verified which is having a blue tick uh essentially being part of those subscriptions and i think musk has said that would potentially be eight dollars a month and um that is probably likely as morgan has just explained to be one part of like a wider subscription thing but at the moment the way that verification is used on twitter is to show essentially profiles of uh note or public importance are who they 
say they are so that can be uh companies such as i don't know any any essentially any company that is operating uh, and has a public presence it can be individuals such as politicians or ngos and charities individual journalists and broadcasters and presenters as well but also activists and people that are essentially in the public space and the way that verification has worked and has existed has been to confirm that those profiles are genuine and legitimate and I'm pretty sure I remember that when these were introduced they were introduced because people were impersonating others on the platform and one of the big uh, questions that is sort of unresolved at this stage with any of these plans from Musk is whether um, these profiles essentially that are of or could be deemed of to have a public value because they're a public person or a public organization or figure, um, whether these will automatically be continued to be verified um, or they will have to pay in the same way that other people may pay and get a subscription. There's like, there are many problems that potentially come with um, it enforcing that all of these uh, currently verified accounts have to pay in terms of like, if you're talking about governments or public services, are they going to be able to afford it? If they've got lots of dozens, hundreds of accounts belonging to one public service, if they're in poorer developing countries, are they going to want to pay for those verification systems as well, if they have to pay for them? Um, And also just for individuals as well, um, if somebody doesn't pay to have their profile verified or continue to be verified um, then are they going to be open to a lot more impersonation so we already see plenty of sort of like scams on Twitter with uh, people impersonating Musk for instance um, that are trying to shill crypto or something like that and some of those have limited success but um, they still exist and they're still in these places and people you occasionally will see a tweet that's being shared by hundreds thousands of people if there's a breaking news incident for, for instance uh, claiming to be having some news about uh, what is going on in the world, but it's from an account that isn't authentic, is and that can that can still get shared and stuff like that. So essentially, the point there, I guess, is that um, if you've got all of these accounts that no longer become automatically verified and have to pay, and if people don't want to pay, then there could be more impersonation, and this obviously has a big impact for people uh, in more vulnerable communities or around the world, and people that are likely to be impersonated or could cause harm from impersonating them so i think that that's one of the big unresolved questions musk has tweeted something to the effect of that people uh, who are public personas will have a little badge or something that says who they are so it might say you're a journalist or you are the official account for walmart for instance but um whether they will have to pay for verification uh, is unresolved and also that is the only market that is verified at the moment so if people in that space if if the revenue projections are linked to those accounts and the numbers on those accounts and then there may be an exception for certain types of accounts like that reduces the amount of people that originally can be sort of like projected uh, to do this and then but then other people may start to subscribe for other reasons yeah and there's there's another side to this as well which is that twitter has historically been very bad at incentivizing creators to make a career on its platform which is something that instagram's very good at um tiktok is obviously very good at um but but twitter and youtube but twitter doesn't have this kind of creator community that make money off the back of being personalities on twitter which is something else that elon musk might look to solve and I'm, I'm almost loathe to mention this because it does feel a little bit like musk is making decisions by picking random ideas out of a hat at this point but apparently vine is coming back 
which we last saw, I think 2016 was the year that it was taken away from us. Um, Morgan, what is Vine and why on earth would Musk want to bring it back? I will. I will answer that one um, for this this time. Um, yeah, so Vine was the original short form uh, video app that existed. So as you say, it closed in 2015 or 2016, around there. Um, but it first came to pass in 2012, so quite a long time ago in terms of the, the internet's history. Um, relatively short history um and this vine was six second short videos that were looped um and it was generally used as like just a fun social platform for uh people sharing mostly viral videos of them doing silly things and and creating memes and all of those types of uh sort of basically fun things on the internet um and had a bit of a cult following in in the i think it had around 200 million users which is like a good number um but it was essentially shut down um 2015 2016 because it was finding it hard to make money for one reason there was a few different complicated reasons behind this but also um one of the issues that came at them was the creators that were on vine at that time wanted to be paid for creating their content and making uh videos that are viewed by tens of millions of people um and there just wasn't the sort of like structure or incentive at that time to to pay people for this and now we live in a very very different world in terms of online creators and that sort of whole economy like you see youtube and tiktok and uh, instagram and all of these other platforms having um incentive schemes or uh revenue schemes where they share advertising revenue or pay people to actually create uh the content that makes up all of their platforms and this is it's a whole economy and whether twitter can do that with vine is one of the big sort of unanswered questions in terms of like starting from scratch again while it might have that nostalgia feeling to it there is still uh building a brand new audience where particularly when tiktok exists um and youtube shorts and all of those things as well um it's another player in a very competitive market and like we were talking about sort of tiktok very at the top of the show in terms of like uh it's it's influence and the amount of data it collects and trains its algorithms on and all of those kinds of things have given it what would be a huge advantage over a vine uh, reboot and I think some of the developers that are looking at the Vine code and everything like that they're looking at code that hasn't been touched for five, six, seven years plus so um, that will probably there'll probably have to be a lot of uh, resuscitation that goes on to even bring it back. Yeah it's only 2016 but in the short history of the internet as you say that is another epoch and the kind of tech stack that powers the recommendation engine that TikTok uses will be vastly more superior than what Vine had so sure they can bring it back and they, they'll probably bring it back quite quickly if what Musk is saying is anything to go by. But how well will it be able to compete with TikTok and YouTube and Instagram is a mighty big question. Um, let's continue our tour of all things Twitter. The other thing that has Twitter HQ on high alert is the suggestion that Musk could cut a lot of staff to cut costs and I guess make Twitter more efficient. We talked about this a bit at the top of the show and one particular area of concern is around twitter's legal safety and moderation teams which might be particularly at risk if musk's twitter is to be light on moderation if you like what do we know about that and how much of that has already happened morgan yes i think what musk does with moderation will be one of the most interesting aspects for me that's what i i'm finding most interesting so musk has said he doesn't believe the platform should permanently ban users and he said before that he would reverse the ban on trump 
Um, so since he's been at the company, he's not said that he's not gone back on that statement. He said that he's just said that this won't happen. People won't be reinstated on the platform until there is what he calls a clear process in place it's not expected to happen before the u.s midterms at least so people on the right have taken this as a sign that twitter is kind of run by an ally and it's going to become more aligned with what they would define as free speech but i feel like since musk has been at the helm of the company maybe people disagree with me these comments the comments that he made before he acquired twitter have been slightly tempered so he recently held calls with representatives of civil rights groups that represent black and jewish communities groups that really suffer when people online are able to say whatever they want he's kind of implied a certain cautiousness with timelines he's not going to instantly let people post whatever they want as well but i think going back to the earlier point about finances while twitter is so strapped for cash musk doesn't really have the freedom to scare away advertisers and it doesn't seem as if he's made any changes to content policy yet and already brands like l'oreal have reportedly suspended advertising on the site although l'oreal has denied those reports and even if the site moved to a subscription model which would buy Musk technically more freedom in terms of content moderation, it would still need to play by Google and Apple's rules to be listed in their app stores. Okay, so a whole bunch of chaos, a whole lot of stuff's happening. 95% of this is going to be exceedingly uninteresting to 99% of the world. But for the very few people who are on Twitter and are super invested in it, what other options are there if Musk has you spooked? Where can you go um, and are we, I guess we're already seeing a little bit of that, right? People are going to other platforms. There's definitely been a migration already of uh, some people. Uh, it's hard to quantify how many, but um, there is, it has happened to some extent. And I guess one of the issues with this is there isn't really a like for like replacement for twitter at least not in exactly the same way so two of the uh primary places where people have been going to are to discord and also mastodon uh and mastodon itself has been probably the one there's where there's been like the most like for like comparison because it as a social network you can tag users you can share media um it's mostly sort of like text based although there can be images and stuff as well um but it's a bit more similar exactly to 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 twitter but there's one big caveat with that in terms of how it works it's a sort of open source alternative to twitter rather than a centralized platform so rather than having one big twitter website uh mastodon contains independent user managed servers uh so people are based on one server but they can interact freely with others so you can essentially it's a little bit more like joining communities but where you can talk across different communities if you know they exist and where they are um and a post on one site for instance if you're posting on twitter something might go viral and be retweeted by uh tens thousands of people and that appears in one place whereas on mastodon it will be slightly different in terms of where you find it and how it operates um to the best of my understanding so it's more decentralized and uh if you're coming at this from having no sort of technical understanding or stuff as well then it's probably there's a slightly higher bar to enter with that um there's one there's one caveat as well that uh this sort of like decentralized approach is also something that uh musk has shown an interest in and previously um 
uh, the Twitter teams as well behind uh, behind well, Jack Dorsey, the former CEO, uh, has created a system called Blue Sky, which is a decentralized protocol that essentially works in a similar way to Mastodon, where you can talk across different platforms using the same underlying technology. And that's something that Musk has shared an interest in in the past uh, and Twitter has funded previously. So uh, there's a suggestion it could move that way a little bit but it's i don't know about how both of you feel but it feels at this second like there's not a comparative alternative i'm just worried that if i have to stop using twitter my most frequently used platform that's not a messaging app would be linkedin and i don't know if that says more about me or about the state of social media in general what do you like about linkedin i guess i'm not a big i'm not a big uh video or image person when it comes to social media i like text and i end up using linkedin for work and weirdly now i'm in my 30s all my friends are on linkedin and they're not on twitter they're not on instagram they're not on facebook and so that's where i see what they're up to at work to be fair which is not always very interesting right yes i mean i've never really thought of linkedin as um, like a social network in that regard but maybe that speaks to um, the really bad way that I use LinkedIn which means that I think I'm connected to a bunch of people that I've never met who post sort of strange LinkedIn inspiration things um, so my <clears throat> my LinkedIn's a bit of a dumpster fire but what other social media platforms do you use that's not Twitter N- no I mean I barely use Twitter um, it's WhatsApp right um, and in real life connections um which probably makes me sound very old but maybe i'm getting very old anyway (laughs) we're all verified on twitter we all have shiny blue ticks musk charges eight dollars um allegedly as soon as next week would you pay to keep your tick matt burgess yes or no i can't simply it down to yes or no that's uh too i can too black or white um no, but I would hope that uh, our employer plays, pays for it. But I have been having more uh, considered thoughts about should I stay on Twitter if it becomes, uh, if it goes the direction that we've started to see already and it becomes somewhere that's less moderated, all of that, um, that will probably reduce the enjoyment for me of of it generally like twitter has historically not been a nice place to be in terms of uh people trolling and racism and abuse and all of those things like years ago we were talking about um how the platform was trying to clean itself up and it took a very long time to do that but if it feels like in the last few years they had made some progress with that and had uh reduced some of the worst behavior that happens on there but now if that stuff starts to creep back in uh then it's just not a nice place won't be a nice place to be on the internet so that would that would probably get me off of it that was a very good yes or no answer thank you for that morgan blue tick would you pay yes or no my answer would be maybe (laughs) i don't know i feel like i do spend a lot of time on twitter i do enjoy it but i'm probably more of a lurker although i would like to post more and so i wonder if that i did pay for it that would incentivize me to post more to make the most of my subscription which i guess is essentially what musk wants yeah and it could so, be it i could don't be know part of that. i mean you you kind of get that with streaming services as well like right oh i pay for disney plus i should really watch stuff on disney plus which i thought would work in theory but it ended up that we just paid for disney plus and never watched anything on it and eventually cancelled the subscription right so maybe the reason that you don't post on twitter isn't that you need a better incentive it's that you're just not that interested because i i'm a lurker as well right and i mostly use twitter as kind of like a version of an rss feed to follow interesting academics and researchers and other journalists and public figures um in a way that i don't get through 
like traditional news media, I guess. So I don't really have much of an interest of being verified on Twitter because I'm basically just using it as a feed. Um, if all of those people that I find very interesting on Twitter all go somewhere else, I guess I'd follow them and set up sort of RSS feeds on those other platforms as well. But um, if it starts to get too fragmented, then maybe that's good for freedom of choice. Maybe it's bad for people who like to have things all in one place. I don't know. What does everyone else think? Podcast at wired.co.uk. Are you a Twitter super user that's looking to flee to Mastodon or have you already fled? Um, are you intrigued by Elon Musk's um, seemingly whack-a-mole approach to company management? Get in touch. Podcast at wired.co.uk with your thoughts on that or anything else, Twitter or non-Twitter related. Podcast at wired.co.uk. That's it for us this week. We'll be back again next week where I'm fairly sure we can promise that we won't talk about Elon Musk and Twitter. We'll definitely find something else to talk about, right? Yeah, we will. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.